Joshua, why don't you come up here and read the scripture for us, and uh, then I'll come back. Well, praise God. Always good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to be turning to Isaiah 61. And we'll read from 1 to 4, then we'll pick it up from 8 to 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for, because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve and mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins they shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they is a people whom the Lord they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, my whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels for as the earth brings forth its shoots and as a garden causes what it's sown in it to spring up so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations When I went over this passage myself, it looked like it was combining two things, the joy of the year, of the joy of the, the present joy of the year, with also with the perils of our times that are happening around the world. This passage seems to combine them both, so let us prepare our hearts and hear the word. Thank you, Joshua. The, uh, the scripture today is uh, something that the Lord himself had read back when he was on the earth. When he uh, was 
preparing himself, he had been raised in a home, a Jewish home, in a Jewish culture. He had attended synagogue as a young boy. He had been taught by his rabbis. And uh, he knew who he was because even at the age of 12, he had attended a feast with his parents in Jerusalem. And there, he actually spent time in the, in the temple, dialoguing, debating, explaining, challenging the rabbis of that day. He had been prepared that way as a child. So when he grew to the age of 30, as was his customs, as was his custom on the Sabbath, he would attend the synagogue. And on this one day, it was the day, I guess they were using something like the lectionary, they still are in Jewish synagogues all across the world. They have a portion of scripture that is set for that week. Very much like what we do with the lectionary today. This was the portion that is set for us. So when he attended the synagogue back when he was 30 on the earth, they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And it was this that he read. And actually he read it this way. And it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. Where he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. To set free. And Aaron today led us in worship. And there was many songs that had the words set free. I don't know if you've noticed that. But that's what the Lord came to do. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll. Gave it back to the attendant. And sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So today, I don't know where you fit in the description of the people that he described. The poor, The captives, the blind, the oppressed, and all of us fit in those categories at different times of our life in different ways. Some of us die blind, and I'm not talking about physical blindness. Some of us die oppressed, misunderstood, betrayed. Some of us live and die Captives, captives to our own minds, warped thinking. Some of us captive to relationships that are hurtful. Some of us captive to habits that are not healthy. And in the midst of all of that, he promises that that scripture has been fulfilled today. Some of us die poor. Not only financially poor, but sometimes relationally poor. 
health poor, emotionally poor. In the midst of all of that, he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He doesn't promise, because he was speaking to Israel, Israel was captive at that time as a nation to the Romans. They were expecting that the Messiah that comes is going to liberate them from their captivity, but he didn't do that in the natural, in the physical. They remained occupied by the Romans. When he says it was fulfilled, could it be that he's actually talking about something even deeper than the physical captivity? Could it be that he's talking about something deeper than the physical blindness, the physical poverty, the physical oppression? He's talking about something that's much deeper that no matter what your circumstance, and Israel's circumstance did not change at that point, but he did something in the people, he did something in the nation to change the disposition, to change inside. Because inside is what determines everything. It's not the outside. It's the inside. It's the inside. It's the inside. He was crucified and died on the cross at the age of 33. And he came and preached these things about liberating people, but yet he himself died. He was oppressed. He was held captive. He died in the captivity, but there was something different that was happening on his inside. He was the freest person ever. Free from all the things that surrounds him. That surrounded him. So today I can continue preaching, but I felt I was going to ask someone to share a little bit of his testimony about how he experienced this truth in his life. Many of you know my brother Remy, uh, my kid brother Remy, and uh, some of you may know what he's been through for the last decade or so. Remy was uh, a corporate lawyer with his own practice and uh, circumstances were such that one of his clients decided to run a fraud through his office. He was not involved, but he was the lawyer that handled it. And in the investigation, they charged him. They knew he was innocent, but they took him to court with others that were involved. And they all got sentenced and found guilty and got sentenced. He spent six years under this sentence and that ended last November, this just last month. But at the time that he was in the prison system and he spent most of the, the balance of his, the larger portion of his time in a federal prison, treated as though he was a criminal, no freedoms. He'll share some of the story. Chains and shackles as though he was a awful, violent criminal. 
But in the midst of it all, he experienced this. He experienced this. He was one year in the federal prison system and six, uh, five more years, one more year in what they call halfway house. The halfway house, you have the freedom to go out during the day, but you have to come back to the halfway house with all its conditions and everything else. And then the last four years under parole. He'll explain some of that maybe. Parole means that you have to check in with your parole officer on a regular basis. And they are doing their job the best that they know how, not always understanding what happened, just doing what they have to do. So he's experienced a whole bunch of different things. It was so hard for him. It was so hard to watch him go through that. But he is an overcomer. And he is a child of God that has a testimony because of it. So, Remy, why don't you come up here? Uh, take some time and share with us your experience on this. It was on Friday when Haney called me and explained to me the change in the program. He said he was reading Isaiah 61, a portion I'm very familiar with, which has inspired and you know, carried me through. And uh, he said to me, he goes, you know, I remember and I was reading letters that I wrote when I was away. I wrote a few letters. Uh, some of them were dictated over the phone. Some of them were mailed. Some of them, it was a different ways and so I said to Haney I said you know I haven't read those letters since I wrote them six years ago <clears throat> and I didn't want to and I said well you know send them to me let me let me look at them and um, Isaiah 61 is powerful and when we read it it's easy to put ourselves in the shoes of the the, the, uh, the captives and the oppressed I want to encourage you to think about it a little bit differently today and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you portions of some of the stuff I wrote. And then I'll tell you what I think about all of it. And as a preface, I will say this. It's not all love, peace, joy, and mercy. You know, I was reminded the parable that Jesus gave of the two sons. And the one son who said, no, no, I'm not going to go. But then later came back to the field. I understand that, son. I get it. This is a big part of my journey. And Hanny, my older brother, you know, I've said this to you before, you have seen the worst of me before you see the best of me. And you've always been there encouraging. And so this is a, a portion. It says, it's now the evening of Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. So much has happened since I came into custody. When I first wrote you, and I'm writing to the church, I was at the Toronto South Detention Center. I was there for just over two weeks. 
Then they moved me to Milton at the Maplehurst Jail, where I spent a couple of days. Then they moved me to Joyceville Jail in Kingston, Ontario, where I spent about a week, and then back again to Milton for one more night. And now I'm in Toronto again, but at the East Detention Centre. I've been here since last Thursday. I have a court appearance this week in Toronto, hence all the moving around. And every time they move me, it comes without notice or warning. They give me a few seconds to gather whatever items I have and prepare for the long wait in a holding cell, followed by a much longer ride in an all-metal enclosed transport vehicle. And all the while, being cuffed and shackled. During one of those rides, the shackle on my right ankle was tighter than it's ever been before, pinching and nearly piercing my skin. I tried to stand up and walk, but the pain was severe. So I mentioned this to the guard, hoping he could loosen it a bit. His answer was, they're not supposed to be comfortable. I didn't respond. I just looked through and passed him. Thank you. And kept walking. I'll, I will. A famous philosopher once said, you can judge a society by the way it treats its prisoners. I want to tell you about Marco. Marco was an inmate who's been here about three years. He has a couple more years to go. He's a tough guy, but he has a gentle soul. He's basically the inmate who runs this particular range. All of the other inmates respect him. I don't know anything about his story, but he's taking a liking to me. For some reason, he treats me with courtesy and deference. Earlier today, a fight broke out between two inmates. A misunderstanding about whose turn it was to use the phone. Words led to yelling, which led to shoving, which led to some punches. Things got pretty tense pretty fast. The two guys eventually got separated. I was sitting nearby and saw it all happen. I noticed Marco watching too, but he didn't do anything. Then I noticed him get up and sit next to one of the guys involved. They spoke for a few minutes. Then he walked over to the other guy and spoke with him. Then the two of them walked over to the first guy where all three of them talked, and after a few minutes, they all shook hands. A little while after that, Marco came next to me and asked if I wanted to read his newspapers. He was done with them, he said. Somehow, he's managed to get a subscription delivered to him in jail. I said, sure, thank you, I'd love to. Then I said, but I have something I'd like you to read first. I stood up and opened my Bible. I had a Bible that I carried with me all the time. I opened it to Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. I said, here's something that was written just for you. I handed him the Bible and pointed him to the verse. I could see his eyes scanning the text. And the text said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. He didn't say anything. I don't think he could have. He handed me the Bible, <clears throat> nodded a gesture of gratitude, then slowly walked away. I'm sure I will have more conversations with Marco in the right time. Please pray for him. The next excerpt was written on March 17, 2018. I'm now 120 days in. The human spirit is an amazing thing. If you think about it, I'm sure you can remember moments in your life, whether big or small, life-changing or insignificant, moments where you became aware that you can adapt and become accustomed to just about anything. 
Whether it's a small thing like having to get used to a new toothpaste or soap because the store ran out of your favorite brand, or whether it's a life-changing event like moving to a new country, starting a new job, facing the prospect of living the rest of your life without a loved one. We've all had varying struggles along this continuum. Sometimes these changes become debilitating. Sometimes we find within ourselves the ability to adapt and to become accustomed to our new world. And it's generally viewed as a positive attribute to be able to do so. Prison life is no different. It's obviously one of the bigger, more significant changes. Everything is different. Your space, your surroundings, the people you keep company with, the conversations you overhear, the topics you find yourself discussing, the things you think about, what you see, hear, smell, taste, and feel. It affects your hopes, your fears, your confidence, and your insecurities. It invades and occupies every part of you. So I've been observing how different guys deal with this. Some guys can't make the adjustment. They fall apart. They lose their minds. Many of them resort to physical violence as an outlet to release their pent-up pain and frustration. But this only makes things worse. Other guys find a way. They become accustomed to their surroundings. They understand what they are and what it takes to get by. This is their new life, and they find ways to adapt. So what about me? Where am I in all of this? I'm not one of those guys who's having a difficult time adjusting, but I'm also not one of those guys who's getting accustomed to his new surroundings. At least I'm trying not to be either one of those two. You might think the danger is to end up becoming the first type of person, and that's true. But I think a deeper and more subtle danger is becoming the second type. I don't want to become accustomed to any of this. I don't want this to become my new normal. I don't want to get too comfortable. I don't want to live my life and my daily routine like any of this is typical or ordinary because it's not. I don't want to get used to this and I don't want to feel like I'm becoming content. I want to remain unsatisfied. <laughs> I want to continue feeling frustrated. I don't want my anger to subside. I want to fight the urge of finding serenity through acceptance. This is not my world. And then enlightenment hit me. <laughs> I started feeling the way Jonah must have felt when he was swallowed by the great fish that God had arranged to bring his way. I heard the piercing words of a fellow inmate who very plainly, very calmly, and peacefully, yet without regard to whether his words could be offensive or not, challenged me to look outside myself and reminded me that I'm here for a purpose. His name is Marcello. He's serving a life sentence. I'm now at Beaver Creek Institute. It's a minimum security facility in Gravenhurst, Ontario. This is where I will be spending the remainder of my time in custody. I arrived here on Wednesday, February 7. The difference in the environment was immediate and drastic. Here's how I described it to a friend. After spending 93 days in the worst possible maximum security institutions, it took some time to adjust. 93 days in max was a crazy experience. There's no moment to really let yourself rest. Apart from the physical discomforts, your mind is on constant high alert, always observing, always assessing your surroundings, trying to avoid and manage situations that can turn explosive and dangerous. Navigating all of this was a draining experience. 93 days in, but I probably have 930 stories to share. 
violence, threats, intimidation became a regular occurrence that wore on your soul. Disputes, and there were many, were usually resolved through violence, not discussion. You know, when you're a kid in school, you see fights break out every day. As you get older, you see less and less. It becomes a very rare thing to witness in real life after a while. And now to see it happen up close and in person among grown men, it can be pretty shocking and disturbing. We've all seen violence in the movies, but real life is nothing like that. It lacks the orchestrated elegance and heroic choreography. All you're left with is a desperate, pathetic, and usually horrific struggle. Add to that the aggressive, demeaning, and hostile way that most guards would treat us, and it became a situation where I just didn't know where the next dramatic incident would come from. I needed to constantly be alert to my surroundings, and my mind was in overdrive working to figure out the best way to navigate each moment of each day. It was exhausting. I didn't realize just how much of a toll it had taken on me until I reached Beaver Creek. That was about a month ago. Today is March 7. And during this month, I began to realize what the new threat is. I'm unlikely to experience physical violence here, although it does happen a lot. <laughs> All of the inmates here know that if they break any of the rules, they will get shipped back to maximum security. And it could take years to earn their way back to minimum. Disputes are not usually resolved through violence. That's too on the nose. Things are a bit more refined, a bit more passive aggressive here. Receiving a black eye or a broken jaw is not what's at stake. The real threat is a slow and subtle deterioration of your soul. They call it becoming institutionalized. There are about 240 inmates here. About half of the guys here are serving short to mid-range sentences and are working on their release plans, getting ready for their parole hearings. I'm one of those guys. The other half of the population are guys serving life sentences. By the time you see a lifer at a minimum facility, you can be sure that they spent several years in max, then a few years in medium. They're the ones who managed to earn their way through the system. They may or may never qualify for full parole. In many cases, Beaver Creek is their last stop. This is their world. It's this latter group of lifers that had a deep impact on me. I met Marcello the first night I arrived here. It was at a Toastmasters meeting. The institution has all kinds of groups and programs. Some are facilitated by inmates and others by volunteers from the community. Toastmasters is a volunteer organized group that meets weekly for the purpose of helping its members develop public speaking skills. The volunteer who organizes it is an 84-year-old man named Jack, although he has others who help him and he has the vitality, energy, and mental acuity of someone half his age. On the evening of February 7, I heard them announce the meeting over the PA system. One of the guys on my new housing unit, I had just arrived about two hours before, intuitively knew that this is something that might be up my alley. He offered to take me to the area and then introduced me to Jack. What an introduction. Sometimes you meet someone and you feel like you've known them your whole life or at the very least, you feel like you ought to have known them. I can't fully explain it, but it was a beautiful encounter. Over the course of many conversations, I've come to realize that Jack and I have many things in common. Our sense of humor, our love for the arts, our spiritual faith, and so many other things. Oh, and here's one more thing. 
It turns out Jack used to be a lawyer, a corporate lawyer. Turns out he had some legal problems. He was charged with fraud. <laughs> he spent several years and everything he had battling those charges. He was convicted and he spent time in prison. He appealed his conviction and he won. I didn't win. And eventually was released. It's a crazy and familiar story, yet he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. He said being wrongfully accused, charged, convicted, and sentenced of a crime, a crime he didn't commit, well, it has a funny way of liberating you. This was a long time ago. He was probably about my age when it took place. When I asked if he had thought about returning to his law practice, he just smiled at me and said no, almost as though I should have known better than to ask. I remember uttering this prayer. Heavenly Father, what is going on? So many coincidences, so many encounters, so many people that speak to me in so many ways. I hear your voice while reading your word. I hear your voice while praying. And I hear your voice while I'm speaking with all these people. I'm not always sure what you're saying to me, but I know you're saying something and I'm listening. So I was walking and talking with Marcello the other night. We had taken many walks around the courtyard tracks. This was one of our first real conversations. He shared some things, but not a lot. I could tell he was being careful, still assessing me. He was asking me a lot of questions about who I am and my journey. I didn't mind sharing my story with him. He is by far the most intelligent, thoughtful, and interesting person I met while in custody. Aside from our walks, we see each other at the Toastmaster meetings, the book club meetings, and we spend time visiting with Jack when he comes over on Fridays. Marcello was serving a life sentence for first degree murder, a triple homicide. <clears throat> he made the joke to me that he only made one mistake in life, he just made it many times. He started serving his sentence 23 years ago. He had become the de facto leader of the inmate population. Everybody knew him, everybody respected him, and to be sure, nobody dared mess with Marcello. The fact that he was willing to be seen walking with me around the track signaled to all the other inmates that I was his friend. And because of that, nobody dared mess with me either. He was a godsend. <laughs> Marcello is well-read, articulate, thinks before he speaks, and he has some well-thought-out opinions on things, and he has a soul. Somewhere along his journey, he experienced a miracle. He found God. <clears throat> and then he drops this bomb on me. He said to me, you're obviously here for a reason. We got a lot of guys who are here for a short time, and all they want to do is get out as fast as they came in. They don't stop to consider why they're here or what they can contribute. Let's figure out a way that you can use your skills, your talents to help the guys in here. Let's relaunch our newsletter, a writer's club. Teach these guys how to write, how to tell a story. Maybe help them write their memoirs, something, anything. I can get it approved. You can run with it. I can probably get you an office with a computer. Let's start with this for now. All the lifers here, they need help. And frankly, this is what he said, a guy like you is the least you could do. You owe them your help. <coughs> Here's an excerpt that I wrote a couple of months later. The last few weeks were difficult. I don't like very many of the people here. 
I can count on one hand the number of people I've met in the last six months who I would ever consider spending any time with on the outside, and I still have three fingers left over. I avoid the typical prison politics, but sometimes it has a way of seeking you out, so I do my best to manage around it. I can usually see and understand things as they're unfolding, and I circumvent the nonsense and focus on doing my own time, as they call it. Last week, I was scheduled to give a talk to the Toastmasters event. They take turns doing this. But I wasn't really up to it. I was at my limit, and I decided I would pull out. Let them find someone else to do it. What's the point of casting your pearls before swine anyway? And it's usually at the height of my frustration that God would typically bring a special word for me. Another small word of rebuke, another kind word of encouragement. So I decided to go ahead with the talk. I thought I would speak about something that I was passionate about, music, drums in particular. So I gave a 15-minute talk on the art of rock and roll drumming. Where's Ara? He would have loved it. <laughs> I explained to them the basics of the rock beat, and then I gave examples of some unique drummers who didn't follow the usual path but created their own way. I played a few short musical clips to demonstrate my point. I played Ringo Starr, John Bonham, Joe Morello. I gave examples of how these famous drummers played differently and unlike anyone before them. They were innovators. And then just for my own personal amusement, I played a fourth clip. It was a James Brown song called Cold Sweat, featuring the drummer from a band called Five O'Clock Shadow. There was only one other person in the audience who realized I was the drummer in that band. He smiled widely. I wrapped up the talk by quoting a famous musician. Once you free your mind about a concept of harmony and of music being correct, you can do whatever you want. So nobody told me what to do, and there was no preconception of what to do. That's the quote. I then concluded by saying, and so that's the point of my talk today. It's not really about rock and roll or the drums. It's about you and it's about me. So whatever it is that you're doing or whatever it is that you want to do, sure, it helps know the basic rules, but don't get too hung up on that. Make up your own rules and figure out your own way. And maybe, just maybe in the process, you can create something original, something beautiful. I unplugged my stereo walked past the podium, gave Marcello a high five, and sat down. They all seemed to enjoy the talk. The next morning, I was sitting in the library, and one of the inmates who was at my talk came to ask me a couple of questions. He was in his early 20s, a Toronto guy, serving time for gang-related crimes, violence, robbery, guns, drugs. It was a long list. His name was Jimmy. He said he really enjoyed my presentation and wanted to write down the names of the bands and the drummers that I mentioned, so we had a good chat about all of it. He seemed genuinely interested and engaged, but I sensed there was something else on his mind. I felt an emotional heaviness weighing him down. I didn't pry. I respected his boundaries, but he eventually opened up and he said to me, my dad's a musician. He's a lot like you. He would have loved your talk. We don't speak that much, we're not on good terms. <clears throat> but I wrote all this down and I hope to discuss this with him the next time we speak. It will blow his mind to know that this is the kind of stuff we talk about in here. I can't wait. So, I have a good friend of mine. His name is Paul, Paul Johansson. He's a pastor of a church 
And years ago, he said, he, one word from him is like a thousand from other people. He said, we're not just called to believe in Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus. You know, he, Jesus suffered greatly. Um, when he was on his cross moments before he died, it would have been very reasonable for him to say, guys, just give me a minute. Let me try to figure out my stuff, please. I don't have, you know. He didn't do that. He, um, he forgave his enemies. He prayed for his enemies. And he ministered to the thief that was next to him. And I believe that's what we're called to do. Isaiah 61. So I'm the brokenhearted. I'm the captive. Well, maybe I'm the one who's an agent of Jesus. Maybe I'm the one who's comforting the brokenhearted. Maybe I can be the one to help free the captives. So while I'm figuring it out, I'll never really fully figure out maybe, but we have moments. We have an opportunity to not just focus on ourselves and to be a light for other people. That's what I went through. Last week I shared with you about the tears and what we experienced in Armenia when the internationals were there and Armenians were sharing about their tears. Jesus said that he's come to set the captives free. And then later on, when Joshua was reading it, he said these words, they shall be called oaks of righteousness. When we're going through our pain, it's so easy to focus on our pain. It's so easy to feel the victim. It's so easy to feel this is it, the pain. But that passage doesn't end there. He's talking about the people that he has come to set free and what they're going to be. They're going to be oaks of righteousness. It's what Remy experienced. That's what he shared. Following Jesus, doing with hands nailed to the cross, releasing forgiveness, releasing mercy, ministering to another. At the end of the journey in Revelation 21, we read these words. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They're still dying. They're mortals. Not the eternals, the mortals. They haven't gotten there yet. They're still mortals. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. If they're in heaven... They're already with God. 
But he's not talking about heaven. Yes, we always read this passage about what's going to happen in heaven. But this passage is a lot deeper than that. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Yes, we are looking forward to that in the future. But that's ours today as well. I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. For the first things have passed away. When we read these passages, when we see all of this, when we look at this passage as being in the lectionary, specifically on this, the third week of Advent, as we prepare for the coming of Messiah into this world, Christmas, and the coming of Messiah as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, ruling over all the earth. This preparation brings us face to face with these scriptures. How do we want to react to them? How do we want to face the pain? And it's real. He wasn't just imagining being in prison. He was there. He wasn't imagining the 90 days of threat to his life. Anything crazy can happen. He wasn't just imagining it. It was real. But he wrote something in one of his first letters that he made the decision to live outside while inside. He made the decision, I'm paraphrasing, he made the decision because he was experiencing an intimacy with God like never before. And in that intimacy, there is freedom. In that intimacy, there's overcoming in the midst of the circumstance. That's what Christmas is about. That God came down to stand with us in the midst of the worst situation. He didn't leave us. He will never leave us. He's adopted us. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. He says that you have been given a spirit of adoption and you are now children of God. To the Romans that received that, it meant something totally different than what we perceive it to mean. We think of adoption as something less than the natural born. But for the Romans, it was law that while a parent can disown their natural born children, because they made the decision and the choice to adopt an adopted child, they could never disown that child. And inheritance was guaranteed. That's what God has done with us. He has adopted us. He's never going to leave us. Never going to forsake us. Never going to abandon us. It doesn't matter what the circumstance. It doesn't matter what the pain. In the middle of it, you can be free. It took six years. And he's now free. But the lesson of freedom wasn't learned November 7th, 2023. It was learned while he was in the midst of the pain six years ago, going through it. Because that's where it counts. That's where it changes us. That's where the Lord wants to come to your life today. Whatever you're going through, 
whatever betrayal, whatever pain, whatever loss, whatever situation you're going through, he wants to step in there with you today and help you be an overcomer, to get you up above it. Not to just survive, not to just go through it. David understood that very well when he wrote in the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death. That means he's going through it. Keep going through it. He's not out of it yet. But as he's going through it, the Lord is there. Let's stand and just thank him for that. And it doesn't matter where you are. It does matter. It does really matter where you are. But in the midst of where you are, invite him. Invite him into your life today. Have a Christmas that is really full of the glory of God. We sing it. Goodwill to men, peace on earth. How can you have peace in the middle of pain? How can you have peace in the middle of garbage? You can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us all of this. We thank you that you are so faithful, that you are so loving, that you are so gracious, that you have entered humanity through your Son, through being born God in flesh. Not just a little baby in a manger that we are feeling so cute about, but the King of kings, the God of all creation, stepped into this world to show us higher, to show us better, to show us greater. Father, I pray for all who are listening to this here in the room or outside on, online or later in the recording, that you step into their lives today. We sang it, the amazing grace of God that chases me, leaves the 99 and comes after me. Each one of us today, Lord, are that one. You're focused on us, me, you, each one of us. Father, bring your glory into our lives. We open our hearts to you and say, come in. We invite you into our circumstance because you're already there with us. We just open our eyes to see you. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. And may the grace of God be with each one of you today and always. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. And we'll see you next Sunday.